0: Good morning once again, hope. How many times can somebody who works here say good morning to you? Are we What up to you eight eight that 's a good number. Well, I am Laura. I am the intern pastor here with a very squeaky music stand. There we go. And I am really glad that you 're here today and I 'm glad the sun 's out and uh, I 'm just glad that we can have this time of fellowship uh, together. And it is just a great Sunday to be here. Not only are we celebrating baptism and, and communion, but we're really celebrating our relationships with one another. We're celebrating um, how we can serve our neighbors with the Super Bowl food drive and this big game that we keep talking about that apparently is happening later on today. Um, we're getting together as uh, friends to celebrate with the big game party. And so it's just good to be in a relationship with one another And as we've been on our journey with the story over the last 19 weeks now, um, we've really been on a journey with the relationship, our relationship with God, and um, our relationship with His story and how He's acting through His people. And last week, we were talking about Daniel and Shadrach and Benny, and their relationship with God and how it was challenged while they were in exile. In Babylon. So do you guys remember that? We talked a lot about how you handle change and transition because they're off in Babylon. They weren't at home. But that changes today. Today they get to go home. In uh, chapter 19 of the story, if you want to flip over, it's titled, The Return Home. And they're going through another relationship change now with God, going home from Babylon back home to Jerusalem. And so as we begin today, King Cyrus, King Cyrus of Babylon, allows the Israelites to go home to Jerusalem. And it's almost, think back now, to when the Israelites left Egypt. When they got to go home for the first time, they were freed to go home. And I wonder if some of the Israelites had it in the way back of their mind, what God told them then. Do you guys remember what God told them? Probably not, that's okay. Hey, when you're in exile for a really long time, your memory kind of goes. But this is what God said to his people when they left Egypt. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment." That promise holds true whether they are leaving Egypt and now coming home from Babylon. And I just have to think that these people are excited. There's just got to be this emotional high going on, this, finally, we get to go home. But maybe there's some apprehension as well. Because this is a really big deal. They've been in Babylon 70 years. That's, that's a couple generations. Like The first people to go into exile have, have probably passed on. And so there might be this apprehension of, what is home? I, I don't really remember Jerusalem. I'm too young. I don't know. But there's, there's got to be some excitement. And there's got to be this nervous, anticipation. And it makes me wonder, in our walks with God, where are the places that we call home? Where are the places that we get excited to go to? Or maybe we get a little nervous or apprehensive to go to? And are there any places now where God might be building us new homes to go to that are filled with his promises And his life so I want to take a moment though and really dig into how excited the Israelites had to be because this isn't just a return from some long trip it's a return from exile it's as if this prison sentence that they had been under had been lifted at least that's when I was reading that's that's the impression that I got that this is more than just, woohoo we were on vacation, and now we're going home. It's, I get to go home from being exiled, from being kicked out. I get to go back to a place that I used to call home. Please turn with me in your stories, or if you're in the Abundant Life Bible. Um, if you're in the story, page 263. If you're the, in the Abundant Life Bible, it's gonna be 362 because I, I want us to hear what the Israelites heard when they got to go home. Or in the first part of that page there. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. So going home is a two-phase project for the Israelites. They get to go home, and they also are set with the task to rebuild God's temple. And the rebuilding of the temple isn't to go home and try to return to some former glory or return to some sense of nostalgia. The rebuilding of the temple is the tangible and real rebuilding of the Israelites' relationship with God. It's it's as if God knows we need something tangible to hold on to, to know that he's there, that he is present among us. And songs can be tangible as well, not just something physical like I'm holding the story here. But songs can also be tangible, and the songs can also remind us that God is present with us and that we're constantly being called home. Even in secular songs, um, that longing to go home, that longing to go back to where we belong is a very popular theme. Like in the song Home by Daughtry, Um, it's a song I listened to a lot when I was in college, and it really just spoke to me about being able to go home and that longing to get there. So we have the words up on the screen here, and we're going to listen to the first part of this chorus. So I to go ahead and play it. I'm home, I, love been for me. I thought it was a, a little more abrupt ending than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's all right. But I think that's what the Israelites really felt like. Whether they were super excited or super apprehensive, that they're going back to where they belong. And they're going back into the love of God that has always been there for them and has always been more than enough for them. And it's always more than enough for any of us. So I want to return to our question of the day. What does home look like for you? What's that home like? If you want to click over to the next slide, I'll show you what my home looked like when I was about three years old. So yeah, that's my mom in the middle, and I did ask permission to use this picture. I am the one-eyed clown. I don't know how well you can see that. And then my brother is the ninja. And that was home for us. It was a place where we could dress up and be silly, where we could laugh, where there's a lot of love. and. <laughs> where we just have a lot of good memories um, being together as a family, even if he's looking at me kind of oddly like, clowns aren't supposed to have one eye. But I also know that as blessed as I was and I am, that not every house is a home. Because a home is more than wood and drywall and paint. A home are those relationships that it contains. And for some, Home is not a good place that is filled with joyous memories. For others, it is. But I also know home can be the place of some of our most painful memories. But it also has a chance to be the place of some of our best memories. So what about these Israelites who are on this long walk home? They didn't have a home to to go to. Their homes were gone. Jerusalem lie laid in rubble, in ruin. There is nothing there. And on top of that, they're getting home, and their neighbors don't really want them there. They don't want the temple rebuilt. They don't want Jerusalem to rise again in power. And so they, their neighbors did absolutely everything they could to stop the building of God's temple and just to, to wear his people down. Just like schoolyard bullies, they pushed and they picked at the Israelites to distract them from rebuilding God's temple and to distract them from just the enjoyment of being home again. And we read about it in the story on page 265. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah, and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrated their plans during the entire reign of King Cyrus and down to the reign of King Darius of Persia. So for two kings, two uh, reigns of kings, they were just worn down, worn down, picked on and pushed. And finally it worked. The Israelites just stopped. They decided it wasn't the right time to be building the temple, and they turned to their own homes. They were on this journey to rebuild their relationship with God, and they just stopped. But just like our homes, God's house is more than just brick, wood, and beautiful decor. And for us, we have a God that is not content to leave things half-finished, half-done, So he speaks to his people and he says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And we can go through our lives working so that we have enough to eat, enough to drink, enough clothing, maybe just a little bit more income. We can put all of that first. And it's really not that our basic needs are not important because they are. We need we need to eat, we need to drink, you know, we need to stay warm. It's pretty cold out there the last time I checked. But all those things, they're they're not enough. They're just not enough to give us a life that is truly lived. So I ask you this morning, what distracts you from building your home for God or for building his kingdom? If God gives us as the building stones of our relationship with him and the building stones of our faith, the practice of prayer, Daily time with him, being in his word, serving others, those around us, with a kind word or a helpful act, how many stones do we lay down each day? If all we ever strive for is to have our needs met, maybe just a little bit more, if all we ever aim for is to be satisfied in this life, it won't be enough something will always be missing. There will always be something in our homes that doesn't satisfy what our souls deeply, deeply long for. And lucky for us, God doesn't stop building. God doesn't stop working because he never wants our relationship just to be half-finished or partway there three-quarters is good enough. He knows He knows what we need. And it's like communion. It's like this meal right here. We can come up to the altar, and we can take a little bit of bread, and have a sip of wine or grape juice, and that little hunger that we get about halfway through service, halfway through the sermon, that might be satisfied for a little bit. But, it's not enough. If all communion ever was was just the bread and the wine, it wouldn't even be communion. Because what makes communion communion is the promise. It's the promise that when you come up here, you are forgiven, you are set free. It is the promise that God is so tangibly present with you, that he wants to be with you so badly that he is willing to set his words in bread and wine that it's literally inside of us. And when we walk away, we know that no matter what comes the rest of our day and the days after that, that God's presence is with us and that his love is always for us. It is his promise, it is his faithfulness, it is his presence. That's what's satisfying to our souls. That is what makes it real and tangible. And more than just working at our relationship with God, God wants us to be someplace, to inhabit a space. He wants us to inhabit the space where his presence can fill us up, where we can live and move, worship, and satisfy our souls in a physical place, surrounded by others that are worshiping the same God. And who come before the same God, broken, looking for a savior just like us. Because God, he's not, he's not all about having a house that is filled with gold and silver and treasure. I mean, that looks really beautiful. But he knows the important part about his house is that his people are there. And that he's there with them. And that they're interacting that they're praying together, that they're worshiping together, they're partaking in his sacraments together. It's this physical place, the place we're in right now, where we can rest and be renewed and be a community together. It is our relationships with one another that make this space a home. I was going to bring a rock that my daughter colored. And I had it when I practiced my sermon, I really did. It was a really cool rock too. And uh, she had colored it and it it did sit at my living room uh, end table. But I don't know where it went, so I brought these instead. (laughs) This is plan B for the sermon illustration. And um, these rocks were given to me by my godmother And they inhabit um, one of those relaxing waterfall things where she got it for me so I could write my sermons in peace, and I have yet to write a sermon with this water running. But, so, and this is um, just a rock that the KQ kids are going to color. But I really can't use these rocks for much else than decoration, basically. Because if I wanted to build something with these rocks, I would need... Boulders. I have been told that I could probably have a million of these stones and not make a very cool fort. I I need big foundational stones. I need the big boulders that you see uh, outside maybe office buildings or uh, really nice houses. And the same is true for God's house. He knows that we just need one foundational stone. Out of all the other million stones, that we could find to build we just need one just one and in the Gospel of John Jesus decides to elaborate on the need for a foundational stone so we have Jesus hanging out in the temple in Jerusalem and there's people gathered around him and he's doing his Jesus thing he's teaching and he's preaching And they demand a miraculous sign out of him to prove that he is the son of God. So Jesus, in his way, he looks at them and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, if you were the people, what would you think? Yeah, right, it took us like 40 years to build this temple and you're going to rebuild it in three days? Are you kidding me? But they missed the point because Jesus wasn't talking about that beautiful temple that was built with stones and wood. He was talking about himself and his body. He was talking about his death and his resurrection. And right there, that's the foundational stone. foundational stone isn't a rock like this. It's a piece of wood like that. It's the cross of Christ. And it's the cross of Christ because that is the one place where all of God's power, all of his love, absolutely everything that God could do for us is centered on those crossbeams. And that is our foundational stone because it's the fullest measure of what God does for us and continually does for us. It's never just a rock, it's always, always the cross because that is the only thing that can root our lives in something that is stronger than us, in something that is for us, and in something that fights for us, and something that will never let us go. I want us to read together what Jesus tells his people, us, in Matthew. So let's read together. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. If I could edit scripture, which I'm not allowed to do, but if I could, I would say, The last line should be because it had its foundation on the cross. Because it is the cross that loudly proclaims what Jesus tells us and wants us to hear. He wants us to hear that we are fiercely loved, that we belong here in this place, that we belong in the house of God, and that we belong in the presence of His saving grace. His words to us are that we have a Savior that stands firm, that stands firm for us and whatever happens to us in this life. God's house does not fall, and I can guarantee you it will not fall, because its foundation is on the cross of Christ, which has already conquered the world. Whatever circumstances happen to us in this life, whether it's losing a job, losing a loved one, difficult family situations, internal struggles that we might have, sickness, we always have the one that fights for us and with us, who roots our lives in the strongest foundation possible, Christ. And all of this is for us, to lead us back down the road home, to the road of God's presence and his wide open arms. And there is something about being in God's house, standing on the foundation of Christ, that changes us. As odd as it might sound, our lives become the houses where we begin to welcome others in with the same love we have received. We become wise builders who build our lives on the rock of Christ. When was the last time you talked on the phone with a friend who needed a listening ear? or opened a door for a person or two when you're out running errands. It is in those small ways, those small welcoming and loving gestures, where we become little houses of Christ and our lights shine forth. And when our lives change, when we lay stone upon stone of our faith, we begin to have an influence on those around us. Life as a House is a movie that came out about a decade ago, and it's one of my favorite movies. And I know I say that about every movie clip that I present, but I like movies. It's just incredibly powerful story about a father, um, he ends up being diagnosed with cancer, and his estranged and troubled son. And so, in order to rebuild his relationship with his 16-year-old son, this father decides to build this house that he has designed. And he takes the summer to do it, and his son gets dragged along, kicking and screaming. But as they work to build this house, they rebuild their relationship. And father ends up, uh, ends up dying, but the son finishes the house. And it's the house that you're going to see in the clip here. And this is at the very end of the movie, and I want you to listen really closely to the Father, as He's narrating His last words to His Son, and see if you can't catch a bit of what we've been talking about this morning. So let's take a look. If our faith is a house, if our relationship with God is a house, we would want to be built on the cross, facing outworld, outwards into the world, listening for what God might be saying to us. And if we are God's people, called home to God's own house in this place to be filled up with all that he has for us, what are we going to do with that? Sam, the son in the clip, ended up giving the, the house away that he and his father built to amend a wrong. But what would you do? say that I am a fan of standing on the front porch, and I know not every house has a front porch, but I am quite sure that God's does, because front, front porches are like the coolest things ever, because they are the perfect place not only to stand and give out our praise with arms high and hearts abandoned to God, but they are also the perfect place to see where the world needs us and our gifts. They are a place where people gather to talk and share about life, but they are also a place to step down from and enter the world to serve our neighbors. So this week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do at least one thing, you can do more, but at least one thing that builds up the kingdom of God. Pray for somebody that you are having a difficult time with. Call a friend you haven't talked to in a long time. Do something kind and unexpected for your spouse. Bring in some food for the Super Bowl food drive. Find a friend, older or younger, that you can mentor. And as you set out to do this, listen closely to the words that God says to us. I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. My friends, our hands are strong. They are strengthened by the promise of Christ. And I just say, let us go out and build his kingdom together. Would you stand and pray with me, please?